Is your mental health practice buried in the bottom of Google search results? There's a way out. Simplified SEO Consulting offers a roadmap to search engine success. As mental health professionals, they know how to help therapists attract ideal clients and build a thriving practice. Go to simplifiedseoconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist to learn more and unlock your SEO potential this summer. Considering a transition to private pay? Thryzer can help you transform out-of-network therapy to look and feel like an in-network experience for your clients. Your clients just pay co-insurance for sessions instead of waiting weeks for reimbursement. Thryzer covers the rest of your fees so you get paid in full upfront. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and probably one of the scariest things for many therapists is bees. But the second scariest thing <laughs> is probably be ending up in court. And today we are joined by Nicole Stoller-Peterson. She's an LCSW, therapistcourtprep.com. She is the court chick, and she is going to talk to us about preparing for court. So thank you for joining us, Nicole. Thank you for having me here. I really enjoy talking about this. And yes, I do find that bees are also scary, but therapists typically have a fear of court and what can happen there. So anytime we can um, help, I think, prepare for that and just get a little bit more awareness of what to expect. Anytime we can be preventative, it always makes it easier and less scary. So I'm happy to be able to help out with that. Well, we're glad that you are the one that likes to do this because you're awesome. I don't know if awesome's the right word. This is somebody who's like willingly like running towards the court. Like <laughs> I think we need to handicap our expectations on this because for somebody who's like this this scary thing, this is where I want to stand up. But, you probably have a diagnosis for me. I'm sure everyone listening probably is like, yep. We know what that is, um, but, but I, I do, I've, I enjoy it. I never thought I would. I mean, I think my, I always like to share my very first experience in court where I, I got taken to the wall. I was completely obliterated by a really good attorney and nobody prepared me for court. They were like, oh, just go read your notes, you know, tell the truth. And I'm like, okay, like I can do that. And I got up there and he took me apart limb by limb. And, and I never forgot that. I never forgot feeling unprepared, feeling scared, feeling embarrassed, feeling humiliated, all those feelings. And I just never wanted to feel like that again. And that day was, it was a really important case. And I was at the time working for Child Protective Services. So I was testifying as a fact witness, which is what most therapists are testifying fine as and and just not really being prepared was just it was horrible and so I never want to feel that way again so I actually went back that next day and I asked them if I could sit in and watch and they were surprised and shocked that I would come back and they explained to me you know the the procedures and what was happening behind the you know closed doors and helped me understand you know better what to expect and so I studied court for an entire day and then I studied more and more and more and I became a fan of it I understood it and so 
when I started understanding it, I performed better and then I was able to really help in a different way. And so I never forgot that though. It, I think everybody has, you know, that one session they remember where they're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And you feel incompetent. Oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be a therapist. Maybe I shouldn't, whatever. But we all have that one thing that just kind of clicked for us at some point. And, and that was definitely my one thing. And so So I did go back again towards the end of my career and go against that particular attorney and, and we won and it felt amazing. Oh my gosh. It was the best (laughs) thing in the whole world. And he was so mad. And I saw him in the, in the hallway and he's like, he wouldn't even look at me. And I said, why do you look so upset? He's like, you know why, you know why Stoller? (laughs) (laughs) He's such a sore loser because he never loses. And I was like, this is the best feeling ever. Oh my God. I want to do this again and again and again. So (laughs) wow, it was, a big, uh, a big shift. So, well, and it's, I think it, it's maybe not diagnostic, but you know, <laughs> we'll use that word that instead of saying, I am going to avoid court like the plague because it was so horrible, <laughs> you ran back and you learned it and you mastered it. And now you're teaching other people about it. And so I guess that's for me, it's, you know, you were working for department of social services or yeah. child protective services, sorry. And you were deep into the work. And I know that's, you know, there's a whole conversation we could probably have about burnout and just, you know, kind of compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma and all of that. So we're not going to have that conversation because we have that conversation all the time because I love (laughs) to talk about it. But I think when we look at that, when we look at you shifting to therapist court prep, like how did that happen? Because mastering it for yourself and being able to take that on and being an expert witness, like that all makes sense. But then saying like, hey, this is something that other people need. Like, how did that happen? How did you come up with that? So it actually happened because I would be at night, I would be like giving, you know, one of my girls a bath and I'd have my headset on because one of my friends had court the next day and they're freaking out and they're saying, you know, how do I get ready? What do I need to do? This, that, and the other. And that was very common. It happened a Mm -hmm. lot. And to the point where my kids would start, you know, like pretending to be me on the phone talking about court. And I was like, (laughs) problem. Um, because I didn't have time during the day because I was so busy. So it would, it would end up being at night. And I'm like, okay, this is starting to like take time away. But I also need to figure out a way to maybe package this so that it's, I'm literally repeating myself, right? Over and over and over again mm-hmm. to all of my, my different friends and colleagues. And I was always happy to help them because I absolutely believe in the work we do. And I think that court can be a place where people start to second guess themselves. And when you're doing amazing work as a therapist, you know, you, sh- you should have a better experience in that. And so when I met Kelly and Miranda at the MAC conference through ZinniMe, I um, sat and I was just kind of sharing, you know, court policy and, you know, what therapists need to do to protect themselves. And they were like, you have got to package this so that other therapists, therapists that you'll never meet can access it. And I thought, what are you talking about? Because the business Mm -hmm. end of things was so completely separate from anything I'd ever dealt with. And I was just very unaware. So they really helped conceptualize that. Sherry Shockey Pope was a huge moving, you know, spirit with starting off in as a business owner and what that means and, and starting with the concept of, you know, what it would be like to create a product that therapists could take, use, and, and again, and I would never meet them. And I thought, that's just so weird to me. <laughs> you know, we're, we're so, therapists, you know, we're butt in chair. We meet our clients, we meet our yeah. people we meet who we're coaching, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a very big shift to think, oh, so then therapist court prep 
came about and, and it was like, okay, I created a course if somebody needed CEUs and it was, it's all based on court process. I created the court policy, which is copy and paste. So people could just buy it and stick it in their intake packet mm-hmm. that way. Cause apparently people don't like to think about that very much. So <laughs> I just created it for them. And then I created the book just so if, you know, you maybe either can't afford a coaching, you know, consult call or you don't have the time and it's the night before and you're starting to freak out, you can literally buy my book. I think it's like 60 bucks and you hit click and it downloads and you can print it and you can write all over it and then it helps you prepare. So all of that came about because I met with Kelly and Miranda and Sherry and they really just said, people need this. I don't think you get, and I think that's what a lot of us therapists do. We don't realize that we have something that people need. And then we're so like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I should put that out there. And we're worried what other people think, but we're really holding back gifts that others can utilize. And so we have to be able to share it and, and to have confidence in that. And so I started doing that. And that's where Therapist Court Prep came from. So you bring up about court policy in the informed consent paperwork, which right. conceptually for me is kind of the start of the therapeutic yeah, relationship. Absolutely. How important is the informed consent in all of the relationship as it pertains to potentially ending up in court? I think it's extremely important. I think that um, we're in a time where people are, they're really desperate for help. And when they go to therapy, whether it's because an attorney told them to or they thought it would be a good idea, or they don't realize something could come up later. It's important to let them know from the very beginning whether or not we are the type of therapist that's willing to write a letter, right? They need to know if we are going to be willing to go into a courtroom. And and that's separate from, of course, being subpoenaed, because when you have a subpoena, you're going, right? Because nobody wants a bench warrant. Been there, done that. We can talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> don't ignore your don't ignore your subpoenas. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm a huge proponent for showing up. But in that informed consent, we're really informing them of what we offer and what we don't because I think there's confusion from our clients who think you're going to go advocate for me. You're going to go into a courtroom and tell them that I'm a good mom or that I'm a good dad or that I, you know, I really can't work anymore at that place because of the accident or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have to be upfront with them and say whether you do or don't because you may not be the best fit for them because at some point they may really need a therapist who can say this, this person, you know, does these things in a, in a letter, right? Or in some type of a, an assessment. And, and from the beginning, we have to let them know what to expect or not to expect from us. Now, one of the caveats to that, of course, is if we say, look, we don't do court, we don't write letters. However, should you subpoena me? Should you provide my information as a potential witness? These are my fees, right? Because mm-hmm. You can still say, I don't do all these things and get a subpoena, but you've got to have your fees in there because otherwise you're not going to get paid. So this is where things get a little tricky. So what, what is your time cost? Yeah. You know, and I don't do on-call, which a lot of attorneys like to ask therapists to do because it's really disruptive to my practice. Um, I'd rather just block out a full day and I'm very familiar with the civil code and it says that I can do a flat rate. So I choose a flat rate fee. I don't do on-call and... And that's what the person who provided me as a witness is expected to pay. Now, this is really important up front because if, again, somebody's coming to therapy, whether they're coming through insurance or not, and their expectation is, okay, they'll just go to court. It's part of their job. It's not part of our job. If we're required to by law, we'll go, but somebody's got to pay for that time. And insurance does not pay for that. So whatever your fee is... They need to know up front what they're getting into. To me, that's truly informing them. Like, do they really consent to working with someone who absolutely will not be writing a court letter 
and or if, if they don't mind. So again, it's just being upfront because a lot of our clients have been told, go talk to them and then they'll do this. This will help you later. And yeah. it's, not, it's not done in a, uh, I think in a, a horrible, with horrible intentions. I think people are just trying to help and, and oftentimes they're confused about what our roles are. And, and, and then we also have the issue of where therapists are not clear in their informed consent that they will not be making a child custody recommendation. And that's where things get really sticky. And everybody listening, I know you have, you have listeners from all over. Um, it doesn't matter what state you're in, hear me now. You may not make a child custody recommendation unless you are appointed by the court as a child custody evaluator under evidence code 730. There's no way around it. And if you do it, you can hurt your license. Um, mm-hmm. and, and our clients don't realize that. That's a limitation. And so that's part of informed consent is we are explaining what the limitations and expectations are of our relationship with them, what we can offer, what our services are. And court is really one of them. We really have to be upfront, even if we're not planning on going to court. And I think it's huge. And I think a lot of clients would be very disappointed to be three months into therapy and then say, hey, I really need you to write me a letter just to say I've been coming here and I've been doing a good job and that, you know, this, that, and the other. And you're like, oh, I don't write those. Mm. That That's not, that, that that hurts the relationship for so many reasons because yeah. at the very beginning, we should be upfront about what we can and what we can't do. So well, it's th- huge. Yeah. And I think the other thing is we have to understand what we can and can't do. I love that you let people know, like we're not child custody evaluators unless we've been appointed by the court. Feeling like your ideal clients just can't find you online? There's a better way with Simplified SEO Consulting. They're a team of mental health marketing specialists who understand the unique challenges therapists face in the digital world. Forget wasting time on confusing SEO tactics that leave you feeling frustrated and out of the loop. Simplified SEO Consulting offers a range of proven solutions to fit your practice needs, from DIY courses that empower you to take control, to done-with-you coaching that provides expert guidance at every step, to their individualized done-for-you SEO plans that let you focus on your clients while they handle the details. Plus, they have an innovative content network program that has set practices across the country apart from the rest. When you're ready to start showing up in front of your ideal clients online, the expert team at Simplified SEO Consulting is ready for you. Visit SimplifiedSEOConsulting.com forward slash modern therapist to schedule your free consultation and find the perfect SEO plan to unlock the full potential of your practice. Don't forget to mention Modern Therapist Survival Guide podcast for $100 off your done-for-you SEO onboarding, or use code Modern Therapist for 20% off a DIY SEO course this summer. I actually, you know, had to check in with camp here in California to determine, like, can I evaluate whether somebody's ready to go back to work? And it really, it's not inside in my scope of practice. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's things that people assume we can do because we right. can evaluate, assess, do those things, but right. it's not always the case. And we have to be clear on what we right. can and cannot do and, and, and what ways we can advocate and not advocate. I think there's, there's each, each of the different, right. Mental health professions has, you know, slightly different approaches sure. to how we approach the the therapeutic relationship, but we have to be very clear on what we can do scope. and cannot oh my do. Gosh. Scope, 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 scope. Well, and also do a relationship <laughs> right. and right. you know, and kind of what we actually because I think we can as the the, the helpers, we can get mm-hmm. caught in this role of I yeah. want to advocate for my client. Sure. I wanna I want to make sure these kids are safe with yes. this parent. Like yes. can, it can be a very good hearted place, but sure. 
Absolutely. But like people can hurt their licenses apparently. So tell me a little bit more about that. Cause I think <laughs> that's something that's huge. Right. So, so regardless of whatever state you're in, um, we all are expected to stay within scope. And I talk about scope a lot because um, one of the quick self tests we can always do for ourselves is when we're being asked to do something um, is to really say, okay, is this really within my scope? Okay. So if my relationship with this client is I'm their therapist, right? We do therapy together. They didn't come in here for an assessment right? They didn't come in here for an evaluation. That wasn't our initial agreement. Our agreement was to do therapy, right? So you have a therapeutic alliance with your client. That's what we're supposed to do. That means we're inherently biased. That is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's very helpful in a therapeutic relationship. Where it becomes an issue is then when you go to court and you say, this person's a better mom. I've worked with them for three years. You know, dad's been in jail this whole time. You know, I know she's great. I've seen her with her kid. She should have the kids full time. Now we're out of scope because we haven't done a full assessment or evaluation and we're biased. We only have one side of the story. Yeah. Right. And so, and so that's, I think the easiest way to remind ourselves and maybe check in and say, are we within scope? Is it, is it within the work that we're doing? Is it expected? And typically when you're in a therapeutic relationship, you have to be so careful as to what you're sharing. And I have a, I, oh, FYI, on my website, I have a free do's and don'ts of what you can write in court letters. Um, it's on the homepage. And that yes. is really important um, because it, it's, you can be very objective. You can state what you saw. You're a fact witness. And, and that's really important to know is that that's really our job is what did we observe? You can say that you saw that child um, in the fetal position as soon as dad's name was mentioned and that he started throwing up or whatever. You can state what you saw, but you can't say, therefore, he should not have any visits. So that's, that's, that's the trick, right? So we're, again, it's very much like our notes. We're stating our observations. You know, we're, we're providing information. You can still be really helpful. But you're, you're withholding an opinion, and that's when you get into expert witness testimony. That's when we start getting opinions. Any of my expert witness cases, um, whether it's as a child custody evaluator or as an expert witness hired specifically on a lawsuit, I have not worked with those families. I have not met those families. I don't have a pre-existing relationship with them. I'm truly coming in as an outside party to take a look at everything and then offer my opinion. I wouldn't be able to if I had a relationship with any of them. And I typically, I ask for the witness list. I need to see everybody because I want to make sure I don't have a pre-existing relationship with anyone on there because that's going to hurt. So two very different pieces, right? So experts are expected to come in and do those things. Whereas as therapists, we're automatically kind of put in this um, column of fact witnesses and observations, which is great. That's what we should be doing. But again, we have to be careful. So what's within our scope? What are we allowed to do? And when we start kind of getting to the point where we turn into maybe advocates or we just really want to help, we're such helpers. We can help <laughs> ourselves out of our license. So the Board of Behavioral Sciences and then which every state's got something else, but um, they want to make sure that we're doing our job. So I always say, look, I'm a therapist. I'm not a nutritionist. I can't tell somebody to go take more B12 because it's going to do this for them because that's out of my scope, right? That's, that's just not what my background is. I'm going to say, you know, you're not feeling well and they're describing all the things, you know, have you considered, and this is me as a social worker going to see a specialist, have you considered something like that versus me giving advice that is again out of my scope. So I think it's important for everybody just to kind of step back from it. And if your heart's racing a little bit and you're feeling like I need to, you know, 
advocate, step back from it. Just step yeah. back from it and take a Just look. Just take and, a breath. <laughs> take a breath. And then, and then I always say this, if you read this out loud on a stand, how would it sound? And the second that you do that, people are like, oh, forget it. I'm not doing it. If you read this in a courtroom, how would it sound to you? Mm-hmm. It, would, it, would you sound biased? Would you sound like you were in scope, out of scope? How would it sound to you? And that usually stops people where they're at. And like, oh, wait, I, I need to change this. Okay, great. So yeah, it's, it's hard because we are helpers, but people mm-hmm. can really hurt their licenses when they step out of scope. In my graduate program, one of the very first classes that was taught was law and ethics and mm-hmm. had a wonderful law and ethics professor yeah. who even talking with students who are, are working with her today, Dr. Pamela Harmel, mm-hmm. uh, she, she has a way of just weaving her way into our subconscious of <laughs> being legal and ethical about everything. She's got powers. And it, it, she's so phenomenal in so many ways. Right. Maybe a little bit too much. Of like, you know, there, there's things that I've found in my career, like, oh, that doesn't come up nearly as much as I had feared. Right. So I'm wondering from your experience, like, what are therapists worrying too much about? Mm-hmm. And maybe what are they not paying enough attention to? So I think the worry actually, I've seen it actually in some of these um, Facebook groups. I've seen the worry where people say, I just ignore all the subpoenas. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and oh it's, no. It's, and it's never hurt me. And I'm thinking someday when you get pulled over and you find out that you have three bench warrants, it's going to hurt. So I think the worrying that comes up, it it really hinders us. And the worry keeps us from putting a court policy into our informed consent. Like, I'm just not going to worry about it. It's just never going to happen. I'm just going to worry about being sued. I'm like, well, if you're worried about being sued, then we should probably worry about this too. I think the common worry that I come across is definitely, I'm just, I just won't get on the phone with them. There's a lot of, you know, hiding that goes on. And, and I've, I encourage therapists to interact with the attorneys because once you have decent communication with them, it's not as scary. You're not going to end up in court on a date that you really can't be there when you can, when you work with them and you're not running from them. (laughs) Um, It's amazing. You can coordinate calendars and schedules. And that's actually part of my court policy is, Hey, you know, we need to agree on dates and times because I just can't drop everything. So I think the worry is hindering to the point where it's making therapists really be inactive um, in regards to setting up preventative measures in from the very beginning. I think that it's, it's causing a big problem because people literally wait until that first subpoena. And it's a very litigious time right now, not just us here in California, all over. People are constantly utilizing court as a form of mediation, if you will. They're using court and therapists as a form of almost weaponizing us. And, and that's dangerous. And so I think we just have to, like anything else, it's like having insurance for our cars. We all have malpractice insurance, mm-hmm. but this is also a way of just kind of CYAing ourselves and making sure that we're protected. And I just, I don't see that really happening as often as it should. I forgot the second part of the question because I went down a rabbit hole. I'm sorry, Kurt. (laughs) (laughs) The question was, what are we worrying too much about? What do we need to maybe worry a little bit more about? Okay, worrying a little bit more. I would say I would really, I, I like this practice and I've done this with a lot of therapists is I would just say when you read your notes, if you read them out loud in a courtroom, how would it sound to you? And you even have an experience of not being able to read your own notes. Yes. 
So <laughs> Kurt's memory is so fantastic. Yes, Kurt, thank you so much. So um, I was recently subpoenaed not that long ago, and there was a moment, and um, I, I draw a lot with kiddos and even with adults, and I always draw a house and then who lives there and what happens there, and we do this whole thing. And so, and the kids always can see what I'm writing. I'm very big on that. So we, we do it together. And I had written all sorts of things. Well, I also write quickly and I don't have great penmanship. So um, when my file, the entire file was um, requested and FYI, when it's a records request, that's not a treatment summary. Hear me now. <laughs> oh my gosh. When the subpoena says records, it does not mean write a summary. Oh my gosh. You might as well just say, Ooh, I want to go to court. Um, that's like giving them like a little taste and then they're going to, they're just going to want to know more. So you yeah, might as well. Okay. So anyway, sorry, tangent. So yes, I was in a deposition and they said, you know, Ms. Stoller-Peterson, can you tell us what this says? <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> I, I couldn't read it to save my life. And he's like, well, could you? And I was like, nope, I, I don't know what that says. Um, I have no idea. And, um, and it was a little scribble off in the corner. And it was, it was pretty funny because a lot of times, and I've seen this with a lot of adults, is when they're testifying in either a depo or in a trial, they will actually make things up because they're nervous mm. or they don't want to say no or I don't understand or I don't know. So they'll actually fill it in with something and that's dangerous because it's a little bit of lying. So, so <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny that I was like, nope, <laughs> can't tell you. So good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody out there who doesn't have electronic health records yet, woo, my goodness, it's great when you can actually see things nicely written out. And now I actually do type in my evaluations because I used to handwrite. And um, it's nice to be able to read what you've written. <laughs> it's not fun. Well, there's, I mean, there's some therapists who I think that's their strategy is that they, they write their notes yeah. somewhat alleg allegedly in case uh -huh. you're going to court so they can <laughs> say <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, really I think that's probably not a good plan, right? Like um, it's not a good plan. And and here's what I'll say is when you know when you're going into court, I it's also an opportunity. Here's the thing: when you go into court, there's it, let's say a lot of us are really testifying in family law court just because that seems to be where a lot of things are happening. And mm -hmm. family law court's open unless it's a sealed hearing. You can be in there watching all these different. I mean, it, it's like reality TV times ten. And you can watch case after case, and it's really good. So if anybody out there hasn't been to court yet, go sit in a family law courtroom um, for an hour or two, and you will learn so much. And just by being there and listening, and I've actually heard one of my colleagues' letters read into record in a room, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> and I was wow. like, oh, I know that style. And then as soon as they said their name, I was like, oh my gosh. So I texted her, I just listened to your letter being read to a courtroom. That's crazy. They're, they pay attention. And so in that courtroom, there's a lot that goes on and happens, but I also think that you can learn a lot. But what, what I have found is that the behavior that occurs, the witnessing of incredible things that happens in that room and watching therapists testify and, you know, not be able to whether it's read a note or one therapist in particular I can think of, they were asked, how come you provided a treatment summary when you, you know, your records were subpoenaed? And they said, that's just my habit. Like, but that wasn't what the order asked for. <laughs> and so all these things can come up. But so regardless, I would just say to anyone listening, here's, here's my, one of my biggest, think about what you're writing. Um, 
sooner or later, whether we get audited by our insurance or by BBS or by or your board or whether it's called into a courtroom, you want to feel good about what's in front of you. We shouldn't be trying to hide information. <laughs> yeah. It's so scary to me, but I think people get scared and they, they're kind of defiant, like, I'm not going to court, like, they can't make me. I'm like, well... Yeah, they kind of can. They kind of can. And and they can kind of find you like a new set of bracelets and they're silver. Mm. Uh. (laughs) Um, So just, um, just to be, to be cautious is a, yeah, be cautious. A little bit earlier, you mentioned about fees and about setting that up. So how much can we charge? Like, I'm I'm sure like your expert witness fees are like in the tens of thousands of dollars by this point, right? (laughs) It's a million dollars an hour, Kurt. Um, (laughs) No wonder you're doing this. (laughs) I know, right? So... So here's what I say to everyone, and this is, this is my own, I don't have a fee calculator, but this is how I tell people to, to, to gauge. Like if you're going to charge a flat rate for a day, I would say to you, what is your cash, your, your cash rate? So if your cash rate is $100 an hour, right? Let's say that's what you, you charge cash. Then look at what you would be missing for a whole day. So if it's an eight hour day, right? So you're looking at 800 and then maybe you're looking at drive time and lunch. So maybe you're looking at a thousand dollars. That would be your fee for the day. So um, I don't do hourly because again, I could be waiting in a hallway. Then they finally call me in or maybe they call me back after lunch. I mean, court calendars are crazy right now. So there's no way to say you will have you out of here by lunch or in the afternoon. So that's why I do that flat rate for the whole day. Um, and that way I don't have to worry about calling and canceling everybody else. So I do, I, I base it off of my cash hourly rate. Um, so if you're making 200, then obviously you would do 200 times. And if you're going to do an eight hour day, and again, you're usually going to go to a courthouse that's within an, a less than an hour drive, but I count that same time because that's time that I could have been at my office, you know, seeing a client. So that's how I gauge the, the, the money. Now for like a court letter, my, my personal practice is I do it by my, my hourly rate. So if it takes me one hour to write or two hours to write or something like that, some people do a flat rate. I think that's a little bit harder because some cases are, to me, super easy and other ones are super hard. So I do it by the hour. Um, But I heard somebody just recently say, I think (laughs) I was at somebody's conference in LA. I don't know whose it was. Um, There was this guy there with this orange tie. Anyway, um, and I heard somebody say, well, I just charge $10,000 a day for a court. (laughs) And I I started laughing. I had to walk away. I was like, you charge what? What? Are you kidding me? And so then later on, I'm like, oh, I just have to ask. I'm like, "Um, what do you charge? What's your cash like hourly? And they said 150. And I was like, okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to court and they're, let's say you get the 10 grand and they're going to say, how did you come up with that number? What are you going to say? Because I didn't want to be here because I figured if I made it a big enough number that I wouldn't have to come to court. Like it's so unethical. So it's the same as when we're figuring out our fees. It has to be ethical. It has to make sense. Otherwise, plan to be embarrassed in front of the judge. One other thing that's happened with getting paid for court is that in it says, you know, you have to pay me ahead of time for court. Now I've been to court and not paid where I had a subpoena and they didn't pay me, but I wasn't going to not show up because then what happens is you're basically trusting that the two attorneys there are going to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather show up and speak for myself and say, you know, either I haven't gotten maybe consent signed yet and I'm not able to, you know, share my records. I'm invoking privilege or 
you know, I haven't been paid by the party. Here's a copy of the policy they signed. Because that's the other thing. It's a contract, right? It says, you're going to pay me this amount and you understand that you've provided me as a witness. This is what you owe me and I haven't been paid. And I did do that in court. And the judge said, hold on a second. The witness hasn't been paid. Um, He's like, who'd you say needs to pay you? And I told him and he said, okay. So he's like, get out your checkbook. (laughs) And he looked at me, he goes, do you take credit cards? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you want to do a credit card or check? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow. All right. Thank you, your honor. Very nice. That's awesome. If you've been considering switching to private pay and are unsure how to attract and retain clients, Thrizer can be your best resource. How? Thrizer actually helps you transform out-of-network therapy to look and feel like an in-network experience for clients with out-of-network benefits. First, Thrizer can help clients instantly verify their out-of-network benefits, providing them complete transparency on the cost of therapy ahead of their first session. Then, just by charging your clients via Thrizer's payment platform, you can automatically submit claims for them, offload all the insurance stress onto Thrizer, and even let your clients just pay their co-insurance for sessions, similar to in-network co-pays, to help them afford therapy upfront and skip the long reimbursement wait. Thrizer covers the rest of your fees, so you get paid in full upfront and waits for reimbursement on your client's behalf. They also have a Superbill uploads feature, which is completely free for therapists. If you'd like to instead offer your clients a resource to manage their own super bills, they manage all claims end to end. So you or your clients don't need to deal with any of the insurance stress. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to start your free trial and receive waived fees for your first $2,500 in payments. And I think it's, it's something where, a lot of therapists just don't know what they don't know, and they wouldn't right. know that they could ask for that in the courtroom, right. or they might try to find ways out by charging yeah. exorbitant fees and that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, I think that we've talked a lot about kind of what therapists typically get wrong. Mm-hmm. What about, you know, and, and whether it was somebody that you've seen or somebody that's consulted with you, what are the things that therapists have been especially successful at or a success that's happened that has that can kind of reassure right. <laughs> therapists that this is doable. It's very doable. And I, I actually, I can think of a coaching client um, that came to me with a, um, she was really worried and scared about being called into court and was worried because her notes weren't up to date. And, you know, there were just different landmines, I think, that were really scaring her. And we worked together she worked the book. Then she started calling me and saying, okay, this is what's happening now. This is where we're at. And I said, you know, how are you feeling about it? Um, when you walk into that room, did you go a day early? Um, did you prep to get, you know, figure out where you're going to park? Did you walk through the courthouse? Did you go through security? Did you practice? Right. Cause that's what we do with our clients, mm-hmm. right? We do a lot of practice. She did. She did everything. I was like, you listened. Thank you. So she practiced, <laughs> And guess what? She was calmer. She was more in charge. And she came out and she said, oh my gosh, I just kicked ass in court. And I was like, yes, that's the best. And then she said, and another attorney that saw her came up to her and said, do you take referrals? I have a few of my clients that I'd like to send to you. So she was able to give out her card because that attorney saw her standing tall, 
doing her job, being professional. And now she's got, you know, a few new clients. And that's what happens is that mm. um, you, you, when you're feeling confident and you're feeling secure, it's beautiful. So the more prepared we are, and she was willing to do the work. And she said, this scares me, but I know I have to be prepared. I know yeah. I just want to. And so we prepared for the worst. And then it was, it was like a cakewalk for her. She said, man, I felt so ready. And that's, that's what it is. It's getting ready. Just like we would for the first time somebody does EMDR the first time you do CBT, we have to get ready, right? And then we put yeah. it into practice. I think it's a lot about our egos. I think it has a lot to do with our fears. And that's where um, we get in our own way, especially when it comes to court. Because um, in the room, we can kind of hide maybe sometimes from the rest of the world. Um, and then we can't. So I would just say the success seems to really come from anybody who's willing to do the work and just be prepared. It's just, it's the exact same thing we teach our clients. It's the same, it's the same stuff. You know, there's no, there's no magic pill. It's just, <laughs> and then I always tell everybody, watch some Law and Order. It's really helpful. Uh, <laughs> and, and especially SVU. Um, and, and just, just even that, because when you go and you kind of laugh in your head, like this is different than Law and Order. Or, this is that, or this is, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't like it is on TV. It just kind of relaxes you a little bit. Um, and it gets you a little bit more comfortable because it's just getting comfortable in a different environment, right? That's all it is. It's getting comfortable in a different environment and understanding that the rules are different. Once you know what the rules are, it changes everything, you know? And I always say, like, it's like showing up to ice hockey in a pair of flip-flops and shorts. Like, you would never do that. You would come with a gear, <laughs> right? You would learn about the game. You would know that there's a very good chance you could get struck hard, right? And you would, you would, you know, put padding on for that. So yeah. why wouldn't we do the same thing for court? You know, same thing, like how you dress for court. I don't dress like a therapist when I go into court. I am dressed like an attorney. You cannot tell the difference from me and them in the hallway. I don't want to look warm and inviting and fuzzy. I want you to literally look at me like your adversary and, and go, Oh, okay. So, She's, so what you're yeah. saying is that you wear a law suit to court? <laughs> I do have many suit jackets. I hate suits, by the way. Um, just know that. I literally take it off the hanger, out of the plastic. I put it on. I go into court. I do my thing. It comes right back in, right into the plastic. Um, I put my <laughs> flip-flops right back on. I literally wear a pair. I have three pairs of the exact same pants from New York and Company. They are cotton, and they've got stretchy belly because I breathe big. Anybody who's ever done four-square reading, when I'm on the stand, I breathe big. That is not the day to try to squeeze into some dress or pants that you know you're like trying to lose weight. No, no. You want to be comfortable. <laughs> and, and I always wear pants because sometimes I found it can be an open witness stand and you're a foot up. Oh, dear. Everyone else, and then you're worried about crossing your legs and being appropriate. So I just wear dress slacks to avoid that because I don't know what the stand's going to look like and I don't want to, you know, be uncomfortable. So I, I do a lot of prep in presentation and then going in. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, Kurt, I don't like suits. Um, I hate them. If that was one thing I could not do, but it's important. I think it's kind yeah. of like when I put on my, my, um, my armor before I walk in and, and then sure. the second I come out, I'm like, yeah, that's coming off. <laughs> Our guest today is Nicole Stoller-Peterson from therapistcourtprep.com. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us. Yeah, today. this is awesome. Thank you so much. We'll put all of the the stuff that you're talking about on our uh, website, mtsgpodcast.com in the show notes. It's just been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You guys have an amazing day. And Nicole was one of our speakers at the Therapy Reimagined 2018 conference. And so save the date for 
Therapy Reimagined 2019. That's going to be on October 18th and 19th, 2019 here in the Los Angeles area. We're going to be rolling out lots of stuff as we get it ready here through the holidays. This is our last episode for 2018 here, so we'll join you all in the new year. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Bernoy and Nicole Stoller-Peterson. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Feeling stuck with SEO for your therapy practice? There's hope. Head to simplifiedseoconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist and unlock your website's SEO potential with Simplified SEO Consulting. Use code modern therapist for a discount and mention the Modern Therapist Survival Guide podcast for a special offer on done for you SEO this summer. Let's build your dream practice together. Charge your full rate with confidence with Thryzer. Thryzer takes care of 100% of the insurance stress and helps your clients skip the long reimbursement wait giving you a powerful tool to attract and retain out-of-network clients with ease. Check out our special link, join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thrizer.